Good morning again and welcome. Glad that you're here. We're continuing a study that we're doing on the Apostles' Creed. Um, I, I'd like to remind you as we jump into this study that the, the Creed, as we believe, it doesn't have any power in and of itself. It, it derives its authority from the Word of God. So what we are studying are statements within what's known as the Apostles' Creed. Again, if you're new here first time, we're about five weeks in. Uh, the Creed dates back to the first and second century. It predates the establishment of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, it's one of the earliest statements of faith outside of direct scripture that the church used in baptism. And we believe that uh, in the Creed itself, the Apostles' Creed, it, it will help us, and we're putting this framework over all the statements that we're studying within the Apostles' Creed, that it assists us in spiritual formations. Uh, in other words, these are critical things that the gospel portrays, and it helps us to know what are these critical things. It uh, helps bring balance in our lives because any of us are, are in danger of getting out of balance and focusing on something more than what we should focus on. <clears throat> We're all guilty of this. We have our pet loves of Scripture. Some people love grace. Some people love law, although I don't know why. But some people love the end times. Some people love creation. And so they focus on the... the studying something like the Apostles' Creed helps bring balance in our lives, helps us not get out of uh, whack too much. Uh, it helps create the desire for community. Once we realize believers for the last 2,000 years have been saying this creed together and, and are saying it all over the world today, followers of Jesus Christ proclaiming what they believe, it helps us realize we are not alone. And it creates the desire for relationship and community. And it helps direct our steps if we indeed believe the things that we're saying. Again, I'll talk about this a little more in a minute, but Belief is different than mental assent. Mental assent is intellectual. Belief is a matter of the heart. And when we believe something in our hearts, it directs our steps. It helps guide us if we believe, indeed, Jesus is going to come back to judge the living and the dead. Well, wait a minute, that includes me. It should help direct my path. It should help dictate some truths in my life. I, I want to live a life to glorify him. I'm going to have to answer for everything I'm doing. I'm going to come back and judge the living and the dead. So as we begin, let's stand and say the Apostles' Creed together. Just let's join with believers who down through the ages have uh, said this creed together. Just join me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He ascended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Lord, help us this morning as we study that you are our Lord. 
Help us realize what this truth contains for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated. <clears throat> Back in spring of 2003, um, I, I told you this last week. I'm going to keep showing these because I, I love them. Uh, I think they're hysterical. I hope you do as well. There's a church in North Carolina called Vintage 21 Church who did a series on Jesus. And we're in this section of the Apostles' Creed that speaks about Jesus. We, we looked at God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Now we're going to look at Jesus and his son, our Lord. And many people get an idea of Jesus that's just out of balance. They, they, they have these certain beliefs about who Jesus is, this Sunday school cutter, flannel picture, Jesus, um, and so many times we get this idea of who Jesus is. So this church did a satirical look of overdubbing old Jesus videos uh, about who Jesus is not. And so here's another one of their videos. There's two more after this, so you get to look forward to two more in the weeks ahead. I'm going to show them all. Here's another, and praise God, Jesus is not like this. I am walking in the dirt. Hey, Peter, Peter. I am walking in the dirt and the rocks and the... Huh? There's Jesus. Huh? Jesus isn't a rock. Hey, Andrew. Uh, man. Andrew is my friend. Andrew. This way. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Hey, Jesus. Hello, my son. Have a seat. Hey, Jesus. I was just sitting here with my stick, enjoying the sun shine. Jesus, I thought we were playing hide-and-seek, and you weren't hiding. No, Peter, I wasn't playing hide-and-seek. I only told you that. So you would leave me alone. You see, I'm Jesus. I'm an important guy. I have important things, heavenly things to think about. You're always bothering me with your problems. And this guy's talking about what he wants for Christmas and... But Jesus, I thought you are our friend. I am your friend. I just don't have time for you. Oh, man. Too often we think of Jesus as hiding from us, really. He's there. We believe in him. We think he exists, but, man, he's so hard to find. He must be doing it on purpose, staying away from us. And, and, I, and I want us to understand again today that we believe in a God who is immensely powerful but intensely personal. He loves each and every one of us. He he is our Lord. He is our Lord. Earlier today, uh, as we started the service, Gabriel read from Philippians where God, it says about Jesus, God highly exalted him, gave him the name to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's some truths I want to look at concerning 
the fact that Jesus is Lord. Let me just start with this statement, and this isn't the outline. We're going to get to it. But Paul is saying here in Philippians, Jesus is Lord whether you recognize him as Lord or not. In other words, me saying our Lord or my Lord takes it to a whole different level, which we're going to speak. But Jesus is Lord whether we recognize him as Lord or not. As a matter of fact, Paul says, there's going to come a day when every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There will come a day when this recognition will be for everyone. Now, right now, some eyes are blinded, and we're praying that the eyes of, will be opened so that people will know who Jesus is, that the Holy Spirit will draw them to the name of Christ. You see, Jesus is referred to as Lord more than 300 times in the New Testament. To be a Lord, to be Lord is to be king. Now, they understood a, a, a dynamic about kingship that we don't really, we're a democratic republic, we don't really have a king yet, uh, we don't have a king. Uh, and even nations who do have kings, they're not really kings like old-time kings. I mean, they're more figurehead monarchies. And our kingship, they understood that there were people who set themselves up as kings. Kings had authority. Kings spoke. Things happened. And they, there's a recognition that, that, that Jesus Christ is Lord. But what does that really mean? What does that entail, this spiritual, physical lordship of Jesus Christ? Let me just say, this is fundamental to Christianity, to what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. A number of years ago, there was a controversy within the church that raged, and you may not have even known it was raging, but it did. Uh, there was, uh, and there were some huge debates. It was about 20 to 30 years ago, and it was called the Lordship Controversy within church. And this big debate... Uh, came about with an argument, could Jesus be your Savior and not be your Lord? That to be saved was one level and lordship was another. Do you understand? In other words, you could, you could get saved without declaring Jesus is your Lord, the one who rules your life and forgives your sins. Now, a lot of theologians waded into this debate. And let, let me just say, here's my perspective. It's a bunch of hooey. I mean, I, I, I believe that the Bible is clear to me, um, and you can go a different direction if you want to. You're free to be wrong, but <clears throat> I'm just kidding. You can do what you want. You can't, to, to receive Jesus is to receive Jesus. In other words, he is the Lord. And to receive him, and I think the Bible makes it clear, confessing and believing in the lordship of Jesus Christ is what's necessary for salvation. So what I want to say is, this is, we battle all the time. And this battle has been taking place for thousands of years about what do we do with this Jesus. In other words, I, I want a Jesus who saves me, but do I really want a Jesus who's my Lord? 
do I really want to submit my life and everything I am and my future and all my decisions and even my sin problems? And Do I want to submit that to somebody else or do I just want to maintain control of it? So involved in that conversation is a conversation that goes way on back. For instance, in the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is writing to a group of Christians who used to be Jewish. And they have received Christ, but what they're doing is they're trying to make Christ in their image. They're trying to they're trying to come up with a slightly less Jesus that they can control. So, as a result, they 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 compare Jesus to an angel. Evidently, they, they kind of make him, he's a bigger angel, but he's still an angel, a servant, a messenger. He's a prophet on the line of Moses. He, he's a priest along the line of even maybe the high priesthood of Aaron. He, he's, he's, he's involved in, he should be, and bring us back to a, a sacrificial system. And the author of Hebrews dissects this lesser Jesus that they want to... For five chapters in the book of Hebrews, the first five, he, he, he delineates to come to the point that says, listen, the G- Jesus we worship is greater than the angels. He's bigger than the angels. He spends two chapters talking about how Jesus is better than the angels. He says, and I'm not going to read this whole passage. I encourage you to read Hebrews uh, 1. 4 through uh, 14, really. But here's verses 4 and 5. In his discussion about Jesus being greater than the angels, he said, he became as superior to the angels as his name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son son. Author of Hebrews, and again, we've studied Hebrews. We've done a series on Hebrews a number of years ago that you can go get the CDs. I started to say tapes. I don't even think we have tapes anymore, but CDs uh, on. Uh, We do have some old tapes from like 20 years ago if you want to. Anybody still got a cassette player at home? I don't. Um, The point being this, He's going to dissect for two chapters using Old Testament scripture to, to declare Jesus has a superior name to the angels. Well, what angel did God ever say, you're my son? Capital S, son. He didn't. He, he's got a superior name. He's got a superior honor. He's got a superior status. He's got a greater existence. He's always been. Angels are created. Jesus has always been. He's got a superior job. He rules and he reigns. He goes for two chapters quoting Old Testament scripture to say Jesus is greater than the angels. And it goes on and says, you know, Moses is your big guy. Well, Jesus is greater than Moses, and here's why. Jesus is greater than the priesthood. He's after the order of Melchizedek, not even in Aaron's line. He's greater than the priesthood. He's greater than the temple or the sacrificial system. The author of Hebrews is saying, look, you want a safe, controlled, manageable Jesus, but our Jesus is Lord. 
He's bigger than that. You can't manage him. He manages you. And that's the kind of Jesus too often the American church still tries to have. A Jesus we can control. A Jesus we can manipulate. If we, we will even, we're so messed up, we'll even take scriptures that God wants for our good and hold them to obligate God to do certain things if we do certain things. Why? Because we are just so sinful. Here's me, here's the universe. Really, everything revolves around me. You know, if I'm hurting, everybody should hurt. If I'm happy, I don't know why you're sad. I mean, really, we, we, we are so messed up. Jesus came to free us of our messed upness. I mean, he came to, to help us. He came to direct us through. But the way that happens is when we recognize he's the one in control. When we, we relinquish control from ourselves, which was really, if you look back to the Garden of Eden, it was the, 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 the eating of the fruit, so to speak, was the, the seizing of control. And God wants to free us from this mess and help us direct our lives. So, here's what I'm here to say today. Jesus, Jesus is greater than just a great teacher. Jesus is greater than just a really nice man. Jesus is greater than a sympathetic human. Jesus is greater than all of these things that we may place upon him because he is Lord. He is ruler. So let's look at how the lordship of Jesus is effective in our lives. First, the lordship of Jesus is effective because it's got to be personal. It's got to be personal. I always come back to Romans. I know for those of you who have been part of fullness for a number of years, um, when it comes down to it, Paul is really, he, he wants us to understand this. And then if we as followers of Christ don't really understand Romans 1, 2, 3, then we're not going to get the whole, the whole picture of the lordship of Jesus. But Paul is making it clear in Romans 1, 2, and 3 that, that God has revealed himself in various ways and at various times over history to men so that all men stand without excuse before God. You can't, no one can stand before God. I didn't know. I didn't know. Paul's saying, no, no, you knew. Because God has throughout history, through the created order, through, um, uh, through the, the, the way he's helped through our conscience, God is revealed in your conscience. You know, if, you didn't, if, if there wasn't a God, you wouldn't have a conscience. Hello? In other words, you would just do whatever you want to do. Through the, through, the, through the law, God revealed himself. And ultimately, his fullest and complete revelation of himself is found in Jesus Christ. And, and here's what he said. He, he comes in and says, you know, the problem is God has revealed himself. We, on the other hand, realize, oh my gosh, there's God. How am I going to get made right with God? Well, it can't be this way. It can't be that way. It can't be this way. It can't be that way. But now, but now, God has shown a way to be made right with him. 
without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Only way. And this is true. Move on. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Next week, we're going to talk about conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Why is this God, fully God, fully man? There's a phrase called the hypostatic union. You can write it down. Um, I'm sure you'll be dwelling. I'm sure you'll be dwelling on oh, hypostatic union. Throw that in a conversation this week somewhere. It talks about the marriage of fully God and fully, fully man. Why is it a big deal? Because only God could have died for... He, he's the only one who could have paid the price for our sins. The only way we could be made right with God is by God doing it. We couldn't do it ourselves. And why was it important that Jesus was fully man? Well, because sin entered the world through a man, therefore righteousness has to enter the world through a man. Paul's going to make that clear in Romans 5, 6, 7. He's going to talk about faith came through Abraham, righteousness comes through, um, just as sin entered the world through Adam, so righteousness comes through Jesus. You may be saying, well, why is this personal? Because we're all sinners. We're all sinners. And what we deserve is death. The proper wage for our sin, which every... I know, it's so funny, I I heard a conversation the other day um, where someone actually articulated, yes, I'm, I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as they are. And that becomes our standard. You know, my balloon may only be three feet off the ground, but... Yours is only one foot. My balloon's higher. I'm better. You know, the problem is our standard stinks. Literally. Because our standard is the other sinners around us. <laughs> you can just turn to the person you're lot right and left. Yeah, you're a sinner. Yeah. I mean, because they are. We all are. And what we deserve is death. So this is where it gets personal, people. We all deserve to die. But as Hebrews said, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us, how? By his son. Now, here's the challenge that many of us have is that uh, we believe God still speaks. He just doesn't speak to me. I, I believe that God does speak to you. Now, it may not be an audible voice. God speaks in various ways. But ultimately, all these ways culminate in the Son. He's speaking to us through the Son. It is through the Son, Jesus, that everything that God wants to say to us about who we are 
comes to us, it's got to be personal. And I would also say this, God will not be silenced. A number of years ago, I've told the story before, it is, I, I almost cry every time I tell the story because it was so impacting to me at the time. I was with my dad in a basement in Albania at a banquet for 20 leaders of the Albanian church, maybe more, 25, I don't know. And my dad, being my dad, decides, I, I, honestly, this is the truth, I was exhausted. I taught all day. I'd been teaching for a week. My dad had been sleeping on the front row or something while I taught, and I can't remember. So he was well-rested, but I was exhausted. So I had dinner, and I went, I'm just telling you, in the flesh, I'm not a very good person. So anyway, my dad says, to, to, why don't we go around the room and talk about how we came to know Jesus? Now, you would think as a pastor, I'd be like, oh, great, yeah. I'm like, oh, 25 times 5 minutes. I'm doing math in my head how long this is going to take before I'm getting out of this room. They started going around the room. Albania was, now, my dad and I were there. It was sometime mid-90s, um, 96, 97, I can't remember the exact year. What, when I went the first time, this was my first trip there. Albania was a totally communist, atheistic country. All religions had been outlawed. When communism fell, religions rushed in. Um, by, by the way, Muslims have a lot more money to spend in a concentrated effort than Christians who can't get their act together. Just thought I'd let you know. Um, when it push comes to shove. Uh, and so they rushed in and built mosques and other. But these people had heard the gospel, come to know Christ. So that goes and starts going around the room. Out of the 25, I'm going to guess at least five said this. Years ago, I had a dream of a man in white who, who was bleeding from his hands and his feet. And I said to, and he said, follow me, something like this. And, and I said, who are you? And he said, my name is Jesus. I mean, visions and dreams in a country, there's no Bible, no, no gospel, no name of Christ mentioned. They didn't even know who this Jesus was. They said, in the, they woke up from their dreams and said, I'm going to follow him. And, and then it was only years later they actually heard who it was they were supposed to be following. I mean, they gave their life. This is what I'm saying. God has chosen to reveal himself through his son Jesus, and he will not be stopped. Now, it is a personal message, however, to us to say, you have a choice to, to receive and to believe and to confess and to follow this one. You can do it now, or you can wait because one day every tongue's going to confess. But let me just say, by the way, at that point, if you haven't already done it, it's a little too late in order to stay in relationship with God for all eternity. But there will be a day when that recognition will occur. But Paul says, listen, here's how to receive him personally. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. This is not just some mantra because he goes, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. 
when you recognize the lordship of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, which uh, um, Scott's going to preach on in about three weeks, um, when, when, you, when you receive, when you believe, he becomes Lord to you personally. Personally. This is the one thing you can't inherit from your parents. Or if you have poor parents, you can't inherit money either. But um, no chance to inherit faith. You can hear it, you can receive, you, but it's got to be personal. It's got to be received by every one of us. Here's the second point, and the last two points won't take near as long. The second point is this, the lordship of Jesus is consistent. If there's anything we've seen from leaders, forget American leaders, just leaders, pastoral leaders. We, we may try, I, I'm known for being fairly even. That's what my wife says about me. She says, you know, you're never high, you're never low, you're just kind of always there kind of thing. Sometimes she says it with joy and love, and other times just complete boredom. But <laughs> I'm consistent, sort of, but not really, not really. I mean, Jesus, however, is totally it says in Hebrews 1.12, speaking of him, but you remain the same and your years will never end. God's message to us will never change. He's the same, Jesus says, throughout time. Here's, here's the reason I say this. You don't have to wake up tomorrow worrying about whether Jesus took a big right turn. Right? Oh, he was Lord and he loved me and there was grace, but... He, he's mad today. We think of God in those terms, I think. You know, God's judgment, they're consistent. They're consistent truths about God and about who Jesus is. And we need to recognize these, these truths as we go along. I, I, watched, I watched recently a documentary on Robin Williams, brilliant comedian, took his own life four or five years ago. And these are from friends of his like Billy Crystal and Steve Martin and other people who acted with him and knew him well, family members. You know, every single one of them seemed to say the same thing. He was a genius and he was volatile. Didn't have, he, he would just go off because they never knew what they were going to get. Not volatile and an ugly, angry way, but volatile and like, probably have, trying to have a normal conversation with Robin Williams would be like trying to, you know, catch the wind or something in your hand. You just couldn't do it because he was all over the place. He was so inconsistent, you didn't know what, even emotionally, he was way down, way up, which is obvious by the end of his life. Aren't you glad that we don't serve a Lord who's like that, who is consistent, not only is he consistent, but he's eternally consistent. He's eternally consistent. In Hebrews 1.8, it says this. There we go. But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. Now, we attribute these facts to God the Father, but this is about the Son. His throne will never end. 
He is eternal, and he's eternally consistent. And in that, he's also incredibly personal. Christ is king, and he's going to be king forever. Forever doesn't really work much in our book. We can't even get our hands around the next five years. The other, the other day, Kathy and I sat down after a conversation we had with some other people, who was a conversation with some other people. I, I, in, in case you didn't know, it's going to shock you, I know. I, I, I turned 60 this year. I know, you're like, what? I thought he went a day over 70. I turned 60. I, I turned 60 in December. And so with my kids leaving home, you may notice the front row is empty. And by the way, there's going to be a lottery, sit with the pastor uh, kind of things. I'm going to start giving out numbers. You're going to have to come down and sit with me on the front row because it's kind of lonely down, down there now. You know, you start looking toward, I, I've never even used these words before, retirement. There's going to come a day where I will not be pastor of Fullness Christian Fellowship. I know it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe that that, that day is... Jobs are not forever. Relationships even have a temporary... Yes, some of you are happier to hear that than the other. Was that an amen about my retirement or an amen about something... Uh, anyway... Money is not eternal. Do you know the only things that are permanent, eternal, they are the substance of reality? That's a philosophical question for later, but I believe what's really real is, are those things that are eternal. Our Lord. Our Lord is eternal. You know, can we be honest? There are times when life stinks. I mean, literally, it, it, it can get hard. It can be challenging. Things fall apart. Things break. Things bust. Things cost money. I mean, relationships are so painful and hurtful at times. And, and even in our own stuff, we, we realize, man, I really thought I'd be better by now. The point is, we serve an eternal king. There's a 16th century hymn that was turned into a, I'm going to call it an anthem for those of you who don't know musical terms. It's a choir song, which I sang when I was back in college and seminary. It's always been one of my favorites. It was written, um, it was set to music by a, a woman named Jane Marshall. And the text is this. It says, My God, I love thee, not because I hope for heaven thereby, nor yet because who love thee not must die eternally. Get it? I, I don't love Jesus because I want heaven or against the fear of hell. Thou, O oh my Jesus, thou didst me upon the cross embrace. For me, that spare the nails, the nails and spear in manifold disgrace. Why? Why? Then why? O oh, blessed Jesus Christ, should I not love thee well? 
not for the hope of winning heaven or of escaping hell, not with the hope of gaining aught, not seeking a reward, but as thyself has loved me, O ever-living Lord. Even so I love thee and will love and in thy praise will sing. Why? Solely because thou art my God and my eternal King, our Lord, Jesus. My prayer is this, he is your Lord today. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. You are a great God and greatly to be praised. And Jesus, I want to pray right now that if there's anyone in this room who, who may have given over the years mental assent to, oh yeah, there's a guy named Jesus and some bad people killed him and he taught some great things and he made a difference in the world. But they never believed really and truly that you are their Lord. I pray, God, today you would touch their hearts and lives. Draw them, Holy Spirit, to the name of Christ so that, so that Jesus would be their Lord, our Lord, my Lord. Lord, we thank you. For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, I pray today that we will more fully realize the majesty and glory of your name and that we would celebrate the truth that, that you are Lord over my trials. You are Lord over, over the tragedies of life. You are Lord over my sickness. You are Lord over even my sin and failures. You are Lord and today I walk in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. May it bring me hope. May it bring me comfort. May it bring me promise and freedom. Thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, we say right now it's in your name that we live and we move and we have our very being that we offer up this prayer. Amen. I, I, we're going to take up an offering. And this offering is, again, we believe offering is an act of worship, not of duty, not of obligation, not of trying to manipulate God. But instead, this is just an act of worship where you say, God, this small part that I'm giving right now, it represents all of me. Take me, use me for your kingdom. Thank you for your work in my life. Um, in your worship folder or in the seat back in front of you if you're new at fullness there's